and Sirenitas. As always, I'm joined by my partners, Adam St- Adam Stone, <laughs> Adam Kirkchen, and Kevin Stone. Gentlemen, how are you this hey. evening? It's Kevin Kirkchen in the house. Kevin Kirkchen and Adam Stone. Tough you guys back. doing all right? Yeah, doing good. good. Very good. Tired. I think we're all tired. I think. Um, John, you're on mute. Yeah. Hello? There we go. Can you hear me now? He good. Uh, this show's off to a great start. Um, but as I was saying, you know, it was our busiest weekend yet, and, and it's one of those things where we're getting to that time of the year, right, where we're all – I think we're all feeling it. We're tired. Um you know, it's a grind. We love it, and it's a grind for us year-round. But it's certainly one of those things where, like the coaches, like the players, it's the end of the season, and you're feeling it. I do want to remind you that we are brought to you by Mortgage Right. If you are looking to sell your current home or buy your first home, give our good friend Herb Devine a call, 781-254-2846. You can also email Herb at situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available nights and weekends to answer any questions you may have about the process of purchasing your next home or your first home. If you are looking for an experienced loan officer who has experience not only in real estate but in the lending industry, well, you've come to the right place. Herb Devine is your guy. With over 25 years of experience, he can put you on the path to purchasing your next home. Give him a call again at 781-254-2846. Or email them at situate.mortgageright.com. And of course, we want to congratulate Coach Devine for leading the Situate Sailors to the Division IV Super Bowl, where they will take on rival Duxbury. Both programs won this weekend against Grafton and Tewksbury, respectively, and they are playing in the D4 Super Bowl. So from us to you, congratulations, Coach Devine. Congratulations to the Sailors. Congratulations to both teams. And we look forward to seeing you at Gillette next week. All right, gentlemen. Patriots were on a bye week. That's the good news. We didn't have to sit through another miserable game. The bad news is they're back this week. I'm kidding. We're happy that they're back this week. Of course, the big topic of conversation was the quarterback situation. Bill O'Brien met with the media this morning. O'Brien was asked about it. One thing I'll say about OB, I think he's been really good at being as transparent as he can be. I think he's done a really good job being honest with the media. And basically what he told us this morning is, is that the Patriots are in the midst of a quarterback competition, it appears, as both Bailey Zappi and Will Greer have been getting first-team reps. Just some thoughts on that. Do you really think this is a quarterback competition, or is this all window dressing? And I'm going to get Mac Jones again on Sunday. Stone, I'm going to start with you. I think it's more of what we got in training camp. You can call it a competition. I don't think there is one. Um, I was positive after last week that Mac was done. I've completely flipped now just based on today. Look, he didn't admit anything. He didn't actually say anything. But I think if we all read between the lines, Max going to get another shot. At least I think so. Uh, whether that's right or wrong, it doesn't really matter what we think. It's it's up to Belichick. And um, I do think he's going to play on Sunday. I think he'll have a short leash. But what does that mean at this point when you're 2-8? and eight? Um, So I do think Max is going to be the guy again. Um, I think we're all in agreement, or at least we were a week ago. It should be Will Greer. At least see what you have there. Um, You have nothing to lose. But I have a feeling we're just going to go the same order. I think it's going to be back, and 
if he turns the ball over again, we're on a zappy and then maybe on a Greer. But I just think Bill is – they're never going to tank. We've said this. He's never going to tank intentionally, and Mac is still your best option. So I think he gets the nod on Sunday. Yeah, I don't know. I, I agree with you, Kev. I, I think it's going to be Mac. Um, I was actually really high on Will Greer coming out of college. Um, I saw a lot of him when he was at West Virginia and actually when he was at Florida before he transferred. I think he's, you know, I don't know what kind of pro he'd be. I'd like to see him, though, just to see what he's like uh, years later. Um, but I think it's going to be Mac and then Zappy and then Greer. I think that's going to hold up. Um, and I'm, I'm rooting for, I think we all know what we have in, 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 in Mac Jones. So I'd, I'd love to see Zappy get in there. I'd love to see Greer get in there. Um, they really don't have anything to lose. Yeah. I, I, look, Mac is the best of the bunch and I, I don't see them benching him. I, I, I kind of agree with Kevin. I think if you had asked me after the Indianapolis game, I, I, I would have told you, yeah, I think he's done. And I did say that. I said this uh, on this show a week ago that I thought he was done. But the more you read between the lines of what O'Brien said today, and he met with the media for about 17 minutes, um, the more I, I came away from it thinking they're not going to sit him. He's going to start. It's just that he's probably going to be on a short leash the rest of the season. If he doesn't if he plays well, he's the guy. If he doesn't play well, he'll get yanked. Um would I like to see them give Will Greer a shot? Sure. But we're talking about a, a 28-year-old journeyman quarterback. I mean, he's not more than likely not going to be the answer for what ails you moving forward. And, you know, I, I got to be honest with you. This Mac Jones situation is going to be very interesting to watch moving forward because one of the things that I don't think people are taking into account is the future of Bill Belichick. What, what happens to Mac Jones if let's say they move on from Belichick after the season and Belichick and the Patriots part ways. And what if the Patriots hire an offensive coach? Are they going to hold on to Jones for one more year and see if that coach can fix him? Who knows? But I, I don't think we're done with Mac Jones. I think a week ago, I would have told you, I think we're done with Mac Jones. I've done a complete 180 now. I, I, I just having thought about it over the bye and, Looking at what was said today, I, I think it's all it's it, it's all talk. I don't think that they can move on from Mac Jones. I think for this season, however you want to phrase it, they're stuck with him, and he's got to be their guy because uh, we don't really know what they have in Greer, but we know what they have in Zappi, and he's not an upgrade. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out the rest of this week. I guess those other guys will get reps, and I think that Jones will be in a very very short leash, but I still think he's your starter. Come Sunday against the Giants. Uh, real quick, what are you looking for here uh, as as we go into December here? We're coming down the stretch here with the regular season with only about a handful of games left. What are you looking forward to here for the rest of this season? You know, Stone, you mentioned tank. It's hard to tank in any sport, particularly football. It's virtually impossible to tank in football. I wrote a piece about this this morning. I don't think that they need to tank. They're not very good. They're going to lose games on their own. So, to me, I think the goal is to be competitive. But if you lose games, it's not going to be the worst thing in the world because you can maintain a top three pick. Now, I've been on record as saying I don't want to see them hit rock bottom, but I don't think that they're going to have a choice. They're not very good. So, they're going to hit rock bottom anyway. So, 
What are you looking for the rest of this season? Just two things for me. Um, one, the checkout factor. Again, we talked about this weeks ago. You still have to go to Denver. I mean, you still have Kansas City at home. Like, are these games going to to look like the Saints game? And what I mean by that is are they going to roll over? You know, if they get down 14, 21 points in the first half, are we looking at 40-point losses the rest of the way in a true, you know, bottoming out? Um, and you're right. We've said it for weeks again. They don't have to try to tank. They're going to lose. Um, this schedule, is just, it does not get much easier. They're past that, that soft point now after this Giants game. And, frankly, the Giants could probably score more points than them at this point. They just beat the Redskins, or excuse me, the Commanders, who you couldn't beat at home. So um, I think it's going to get uglier. Uh, I'm curious to see if the losses, you know, kind of snowball a little bit. But also um, the wide receivers, let these young kids play. Like, see what you have. I know you might not be able to tell much, depending on who the quarterback is, but, man, let these kids go out and just kind of run up loose a little bit. Um, those are the two biggest things for me. You got one of mine. I, I'm looking for individuals to stand out in certain plays, just guys who can make plays and, and make 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 big plays. Like, I want to see if somebody like, for instance, like Demario Douglas, can really show what he's capable of. Um, and just, you know, I don't expect the team to win many more games. I want individuals to show out and show what they're made of and for these guys to not quit. Yeah, one of the things I said last week is I'd like to see them play the young guys more. They've been playing the young guys, so it's not like they haven't done that. Douglas has been playing a bunch. Obviously, we know that Mafi and, and City Sow and – and Jake Andrews, those guys have played, particularly Mafi and Sal. Um, Mapu's been playing more. I, they've been playing. It's not about seeing them play as much as it is about them playing more. Um, but, again, I, I, I just – for me, what I'm looking for now is, to your point, Kevin, are, are they going to are they going to quit or are they going to forge ahead and recognize, hey, we're getting paid to play and we got to play at a high level the rest of the season, regardless of the circumstances, or are they just going to, or is it going to snowball and get worse? And like you said, they're going to continue to get blown out. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's such an interesting dynamic. I think getting Jack Jones out of that locker room, is going to help. I think he, 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 he was a bad personality in that room. Um, I think getting him out of there helps. I think trying to identify guys that can help you in 2024 and beyond has got to be a priority the rest of this season. And that's not always easy because there's a good chance that the staff's probably not going to be here coaching these guys in 2024. So, you know, I don't foresee some kind of a miracle run here where they win out somehow and make the playoffs. But if you can win a couple of games, stay competitive, keep the locker room together. Those are the positives you're looking for. Again, it's a fine line there, right? You want to make sure you have a top three, top five pick but you also don't want to quit and throw in the towel. So it'll be interesting. I mean, again, I, I I think for me, there's so much that's going to happen at the end of this season. We're going to be busy in January with the future of Belichick and if whether or not he's here. If, if he is here, what changes are made? If he's not here, who comes in as a GM? Who comes in as an ex-head coach? Uh, the, the Patriots are going to be a topic of conversation throughout the offseason. And I hate to tell you, Celtics and Bruins fans, but 
they're going to steal your thunder uh, pretty often, I, I feel like, this offseason. They're going to be the number one topic of conversation in this town like they have been over the past 43 years. All right, gentlemen, let's pivot here and talk some college football. Uh, Boston College loses at Pitt on Thursday night in an ugly game with the loss. They dropped to 6-5. and five. They host Miami on Friday at the Heights. Kevin and I will be there for that one. Um, they're already bowl eligible. Now it's a matter of needing to win this game on Friday to finish 7-5 and five and enhance your bowl chances and playing in a bigger bowl. But, look, that, that was just a bad loss. And they're, they've reverted now back to being a bad football team with bad habits. Yep, uh, eight penalties for 55 yards. Most of them came at terrible times, uh, especially in the fourth quarter. The targeting call on – why am I forgetting his name right now? Um, it was a terrible – Johnson. Yes, thank you. Uh, one of the worst hits I've ever seen. I know Halfley is the guy that probably teaches that way, but it just kind of goes to show the the overall lack of discipline that's still there sometimes for this team. Um, offense, they're struggling right now. You don't have a deep threat with, with Ryan O'Keefe now out for the year. You haven't had a tight end threat all season long. Um, so it's glaring. They have no downfield passing game. And it's it's very apparent. Pitt was able to kind of slow down Castellanos in the running game. Um, I personally think he's still hurt. He just isn't escaping um, either pressure um, or just to design runs. Even those are taking a while to kind of develop. So, um, yeah, they've, you're right. They reverted back to the team that started one and three. And um, we definitely overhyped that five-game win streak. It was against a lot of mediocre to bad teams. And um, we probably overlooked that a little bit. But um, I'd be surprised if they beat Miami at this point. And I'd be more surprised if one of us or most of us weren't at the Fenway Bowl at the end of December. That just kind of has the feeling of where this season's headed. Um, I just, you know, I tweeted this, and I just don't really know what you're getting from this BC team because it, they've really had three seasons in one. They had the beginning of the year where they started off with a bad record and the middle where they, you know, played well and, and I thought played really well at times. And now this is the third part, which is, you know, taking another step back. So there's just no consistency with this team. There's no, you know, I mean, if Castellanos does not have a big game running the ball, they really don't have much of an offense. Like it's like their offense is totally based on him making plays with his feet. So if that's not there, they're in trouble. And that's what it seems like teams. Have you mentioned you might be injured? That that's definitely a possibility. Um, but now you got to just say, all right, can we beat Miami? And if we beat Miami, then, you know, we can, uh, you know, get in an eighth win in the, in a bowl game. I, I think it's going to be hard for them to get that, uh, win over Miami. I think Miami's a little bit more talented, but look, the season's not over. You got a couple games left. See if you can build for the future and, and, and send these seniors out on a good note. And, John, just before you go, there is two positives. One, Kai Robichaud looks very healthy the other night. He runs hard, man. Um, he's a throwback for that team. Reminds you a little bit of A.J. Dillon, just without the size, obviously. Uh, but he's a downhill runner. 
And their secondary is mangled right now. Um, you lost Elijah Jones to an off-field thing, but then you're just you're hurt across the board, and they have multiple freshmen and sophomores um, playing right now. So um, the lack of depth is is certainly an issue. And you know we can talk about Halfley's recruiting um, at some point in the offseason because that's going to come up again too. Uh, but there are a couple positives. But to Adam's point, Miami is just better than them. Yeah, it'll be a tough game for them to win. Uh, Miami's been very inconsistent this season. They're coming off a loss to Louisville at home on Saturday. But I, I agree with both of you that Miami is the better team. And even though they've had some issues at quarterback and they haven't been able to consistently run the ball and their defense is prone to giving up big plays, Miami should be able to come in here as long as the weather's not a factor and be able to play well and win this game. Look, I think for Boston College, it's great that you got to, to bowl eligibility at, at six wins and you're six and five. You need this one bad. If you don't get this one, to Kevin's point, you're going to be playing in the Fenway Bowl. And no disrespect to the Fenway Bowl, but I'm sure for Boston College, while it would be a home game, they didn't want it to be they, – they had bigger aspirations than that. And – and for a period of time, two weeks ago, we were talking about the vaunted path. Well, now that's been buried. We can put that to bed. No, you know, path, no more path talk. But for me, you get blown out at home against Virginia Tech, who lost this past weekend, by the way, at home to NC State. Then you go on the road against a 2-8 and eight pit team, and you lay an absolute egg. I just don't, for the life of me, understand it. Um I agree with you that I think Castellanos is banged up. And, yes, they've had some injuries in the secondary. Losing Eliza Jones is obviously a killer. But I think at the end of the day, that this is a town, this, this is still the same team that won a bunch of games in a row. This is still the same team that won five in a row for the most part. But somehow, once again, they've decided that they're not going to play with great effort. They're not going to play with emotion. They obviously read their press clippings, and the end result is while they might be bowl eligible, they're sitting there now staring at Miami coming into town on Friday in a 500 record to finish the regular season. Not what not what the faithful were hoping for, and certainly not what Halfley, the staff, and the players were hoping for. And again, two weeks ago, we're talking about a path to the ACC title game. Two weeks later, we're talking about a team that's not even mediocre anymore. They look like a like a a bottom half team in the ACC and, and a bottom third team in the country. So we'll see. Uh, Holy Cross closes out their season with a big win over Georgetown. They get a share of the Patriot League title. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough for the Crusaders to get an at-large FCS playoff berth. They finished the season seven and four. And I said this to you guys before we went live. I think the magic number is eight. If you don't win eight games, I don't think you can get an FCS at-large playoff berth. Uh, URI has found that out the last couple of years, and now Holy Cross did yesterday. I'm glad you brought URI up. Jim Fleming, throughout the years that we've covered him, has always said eight's the magic number. Um, and you've talked about it in nauseam at times. And I think, for me, I was surprised yesterday, only because they were ranked in the top 25 all season long. Um, and not only that, their two, or two of their three losses came against FPS teams, and they came down to the last possession. So uh, I was I was definitely surprised, but I get it. Um, eight wins is the magic number when you only have a 24-team bracket. 
just in terms of Holy Cross in general, um, and I'll have more on this on, on the site tomorrow, it's the end of an era over there. Um, you lose Matt Sluka today. You lose Jacob Dobbs today um, into the portal with grab transfers. Um, and not just them, guys like Terrell Spence. Um, there's more coming and a lot more, I think, as well. Then, um, you have Bob Chesney's name that's going to start popping up in, in coaching conversations. Um, we already saw one yesterday. His name was tied to Syracuse uh, by Pete Thamel. Whether that happens or not, who knows? But uh, it's definitely the end of an era over there, and um, it's going to look a lot different in 2024, I think. Yeah, I agree. And you you just got to get used to the coach change talk with Chesney because he's such a good coach. Every, he's no longer a secret. People know how good he is. They see his resume, like everywhere he goes, it's a turnaround story. And so I thought Holy Cross, you know, they didn't make it this year to the FCS playoffs, but they had a really good season. You know, they still gained a share of the Patriot League title. Um, you know, they had some nice wins. They they almost beat BC. They, uh, they almost beat Army. Those two FBS losses were both really close. So I think you can – look. With a guy like Saluka, I can't wait to see what he does next and what a career he had for Holy Cross. I mean, just an unbelievable career. And, um, you know, Chesney and everybody else involved with that program can be really proud of what they accomplished these last few years. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm ready to say it's an end of an era, but it's an end of an era in terms of the guys that you've won a lot of games with, with Saluka and Dobbs and Spence and, you know, you got – Three really good linemen that came back, um, showing into the portal today. So I'm not sure I'm, I'm ready to say it's the end of an era when it comes to Bob Chesney because we've heard this speculation now for three years, and he hasn't gone anywhere. And, yes, I get that he's losing a, a big core of this group that had had unprecedented success at the school, but I'm not so sure that he's going to leave just because they're leaving. They've done a really good job recruiting there. They've got the, the cupboard is far from bare. They've got some good underclassmen in the program that are now going to have to step up and compete. And the reality is, if you're Bob Chesney, I've said this all along, we can sit here and speculate about his job status all we want. It's got to be the right job for him. If it's not the right job, if it's not a job that he believes he can go there and, and get the time he needs to rebuild it and win, he's not going to take it. And and at the FBS level, and I don't think enough people talk about this, fellas, but at the FBS level, you don't have the time you you have at an FCS school. You don't have the time that he's had at Holy Cross. Now, he turned it around pretty quickly, but unless he can do that, he's not going to get the time he wants to really get a program going. So, And not only that, I think Bob's really going to be calculated when it comes to what job he takes. He's not just going to take a job because it's an FBS job. I think he's going to be very calculated in terms of his career path, his family. He's really going to go through the process before he makes a decision to leave. So while it might be the end of, the, of an era because Sluka and Dobbs and these guys are gone, um, and I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's the end of an era when it comes to Bob Chesney. I I'll believe it when I see it. I I think that. He likes being at Holy Cross. He likes being in New England, and I think that that's a big part of this. So we shall see. Uh, Ivy League, what a finish for the Ivy League. We ended up with a three-way tie at the top 
Three schools claimed a piece of the Ivy League title, Harvard, Yale, and Dartmouth. Harvard clinched a share of the league title against Penn last week, needed to beat Yale to win the league outright. They didn't. Dartmouth beat Brown, and as a result of Yale beating Harvard, Dartmouth ended up getting a share of the league title as well. Look, it, it, I want to talk about all three schools, but to me, this is what makes the Ivy League fantastic. It is a great league to cover, and it's 10 weeks. It's a 10-week sprint, and you got to get to the finish line and finish. Congratulations to all three schools, but what a weekend it was in the Ivy League. Yeah, we talked about this all season long. Um, all those teams, they recruit the exact same kids. So you have 10 weeks of basically identical football um, between every team in that league, and I think that's what makes it special. Um, I said this the other day, and I've said it for a few weeks now. Sammy McCorkle needs more acknowledgement for what he did. Um, taking over in that spot in the offseason, obviously, just an impossible ration to not only have that team competitive and play as hard as they did for him, but to win a shift of the Ivy League after everything that program went through. Um, that's a remarkable story. So um, congratulations in particular to them. And then obviously Harvard and Yale, um, the game comes down to um, the final weekend again, and um, everything is decided with the game as it should be. Um, we had Jake Hamilton there who provided excellent coverage and um, congrats to, to Yale on, um, they had a slow start and, and for them to ultimately turn it around and be in that position it, again, it just, it's a credit to the league and um, the recruiting every, every one of those staffs is able to do. And um, I already can't wait for next year. Yeah. It's an awesome league. Um, and I hate to bring this up again because we always bring it up, but like, how great, would it, how, how great would it be to have one of these or one or two of these teams in the FCS playoff? You know, it's just like it, it would be so great. Anyway, but the way the Ivy League is now is so is still great. You know, I mean, it's I, three school three of the four New England schools in the Ivy League tied for the uh, championship. You know, and so it was just a great see, and 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 Brown had a good season too. They were, I think, five and five. Yeah. Um, and they had three, I think, three and four in the Ivy League. So it's just a great showing by the New England schools in the Ivy League. I feel like if you are Harvard, you're you're not as excited as you would be. Obviously, you know, like you lose the game, you lose the outright championship. It's tough, but they again, Harvard had a great season. Yale had a great season. Dartmouth had a great season. And it's just um, – it's so much fun to cover it because it's going to come down to the end every year. And, and like, and having the game, this Harvard-Yale game, you know, so central to it is so much fun. And it's just a fun league to cover. Yeah. I mean, again, the only criticism is that you can't get at least a league title winner into the FCS playoffs. It's – it's a travesty. It's a shame. We've talked about it ad nauseum. It would be nice that it would be nice if these presidents revisited the topic and actually considered making a change because it's literally all on them. But once again, another great year in the Ivy League. Great finish. Congratulations to all three schools who want to share of the league title. But Kevin, I think you brought up a great point. The job that Sammy, Sammy McCorkle did at Dartmouth is unbelievable. And, and being there on Saturday and seeing the reaction of that program 
after beating Brown and then finding out that Yale beat Harvard. It, it, it was one of my favorite games that I've ever covered. It was really, truly special. That program's been through a lot. They lost a teammate in the spring. They lost Coach Tevens early in the season. And for Sammy McCorkle to keep this thing together, it, it's just a remarkable coaching job. And I'm so glad that the administration at Dartmouth it gave him the opportunity to be the full-time head coach. He deserves it. He's earned that opportunity. And uh, and and not only, above all else, he's just a great guy. Like, just, just a humble, quality human being. And, and I know that Coach Stevens is looking down and, and he's proud of, of Coach McCorkle and, and the kids because they did a tremendous, tremendous job. And I got to tell you, that's a hell of a football team. You know, when I saw Yale against Brown a couple of weeks ago, Yale, I mean, from an eye test standpoint, you're like, holy bleep, like they've got dudes. Then I see Dartmouth and I'm like, that's why this thing is a three-team race this year because Dartmouth had the dudes to match up. And all when those teams all went to head-to-head, head, they were great games. I mean, Harvard beat Dartmouth at home. Yale beat Dartmouth at Dartmouth. But those are their only two league losses. They took care of business against everybody else. But uh, it was another great season, especially for the New England schools. And as good as Princeton and Penn are, it's always nice to see the New England schools at the top of the standings in the Ivy League. It's a big deal. You are watching slash listening to the New England Football Show, sponsored by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by Stone and Kirchin. Just a reminder, give our good friend Herb Devine a call at 781-254-2846, or you can email him at situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends, to answer any questions you may have on the real estate process. Again, give him a call and shoot him an email today. Uh, sticking with the college team real quick before we move forward to high school, UMass loses to Liberty. UConn beats Sacred Heart. Of course, UConn visits UMass to wrap up the season on Saturday. Big one for both schools. It's it's the U-game rivalry, and it's not just big off on the field, but it's also pretty important off the field. UMass is going to have a bunch of recruits there. You want to make a favorable impression of your both schools, especially if you're in the mix with some of those kids, if you're both in the mix for some of those kids. But this is a huge, huge game for both schools, but not just for regional bragging rights, but recruiting as well. Yeah, I think that, like, this is such a huge game for recruiting because not only do they do each team recruit the other team's state, but they also, like, look at New Jersey. I mean, like, these teams both go to New Jersey a ton. Um, and really, Pennsylvania, all the Northeast Corridor, um, has recruits that go to both of these schools. Um, I also think this is kind of a unique game because both teams go into this game usually feeling like they can beat the other team. Like, realistically, both teams feel like this is a game that they can win. Um, and that's not always true of some of these games. Some teams, it's, you know, you're a big underdog. But I really feel like, um, you know, it's been a tough year for both of these teams, but a win here would really be an excellent way to end the season. I think it's a slightly bigger game for UMass this year, and Don Brown talked today. This senior class has been a huge reason why his culture and uh, what he's tried to do there 
has worked and stuck. Um, it's only, you know, three wins right now, but we've all seen the progress this year. We've talked about it every week. Um, as slow as it is, it's there. And Brown even acknowledged it today. He said, you know, it's not happening as fast as I would like it, but the, the tangible evidence is there. If you can get to four wins and send this senior class off um, with a win over a rival too, man, what does that do? Like you guys said, heading into recruiting, that just that puts at the sales of the coaching staff, um, of everybody involved. Um, huge weekend for both schools. But I do think this again, I should say this year in particular, I think it just means a little bit more for UMass. Yeah, I think it's a big game for both schools. I, I think it means a lot to both of them, both on and off the field. Look, both coaches need this one. I mean, if, if UMass wins it, it's four wins. It's a marked improvement from last year. For UConn, this has been, we've talked about this every week, it's been a supremely disappointing season. Win over UMass can make it can make things a little bit better. I don't think it's going to be as big of a deal necessarily to UConn as it is to UMass from the standpoint of, of meaning, but a win is a win. And when you've only won two games, doesn't matter who you beat, a win is a win and you need momentum going into the offseason. Both schools are going to need that momentum to continue to build. This is, like we said, this is a big one, both on and off the field. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a really good game. I think it's going to come down to the defenses. Both defenses have struggled this year, but whichever defense can play the best, especially in the second half, I think will propel their their team to victory. So it should be a fun one. Our Ryan Barry is scheduled to be there on Saturday for the season finale for both UConn and UMass. Uh, Real quick, just going around college football in New England, Stonehill beats LIU. They finished five and five. Congratulations to Eli Gardner. And the Skyhawks for that. Kevin, you were at the de facto NEC championship game on Saturday between Merrimack and Duquesne. Disappointing end of the season for Dan Curran's squad. Nonetheless, it was another season of progress. The Warriors are inching closer to being among the elites in the NEC. Yeah. Hawkeye Anthony was a really good um, replacement for Gavin McCusker, but much like BC, you know, downfield passing game was just, it, it killed them. Um, it was 14 14 at the half. They got shut out the second half, punted six times, and had two turnovers. Um, obviously, can't happen, especially at home. But the touch is there. I mean, we all talked about it for a couple years now, and Denshin, too. So um, he's been a great recruiter. That's going to continue. It's just a matter of getting over the hump. Yeah, I agree. It's they keep making progress as a program, um, and again, they recruit this area so well. Um, he's a really plugged-in guy, and I think part of that is he came up in Massachusetts from Chelmsford, and then you know just stayed connected the whole time. I I can only imagine who who else they bring in this year. Yeah, they're gonna do well. I mean, they they recruit well. And not only do they recruit well, but they, they develop their players well and they put them in a position where they can play professionally. So, uh, look, they had a better year last year, but this I still think was a pretty good year, all things considered. You mentioned the McCusker injury right out of the gate. That obviously quarterback play was an issue all year, but it speaks to Kern and the staff how they were able to cobble it together, lean on the running game and their defense to get to a point where they could potentially win a league title game. Um, but make no mistake about it, 
him taking this extension and committing to Merrimack long-term is huge for the school because now he can continue to build this to a point where they can win the NEC and get that automatic playoff berth and have a shot at really building something special. So I think uh, great days are ahead for Merrimack. It's hard to believe, fellas, that other than BC on Friday, UMass, UConn on Saturday, we're essentially done with the college football season, uh, which is hard to believe. And, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention UNH's big win over Maine to hold on to the Bryce Cowell musket. Another good game. UNH was able to pull away in the second half. But these two always play each other tough. Maine hung in there for about three quarters. UNH eventually pulled away in the fourth and won by a couple scores. But another great game between these two longtime rivals. You got to think before that game, um, Coach Santos, I don't want to say threatened his guys, but when you have a chance to get to 500 and a guy who's that prideful, um, I'm sure it meant just a little bit more than even just the rivalry game. But yeah, um, good to see that senior class too go out, you know, going above 500. I know Dylan Lobby didn't play, but uh, we're going to have plenty more on him in the offseason when he's at um, the, the Reese's Bowl and the, the East He's West at the Shrine Senior Bowl, Bowl and the Shrine Bowl, so we're going to yeah, be talking so, about Dylan a lot this offseason. Yeah, yeah so good to see that. So, so, um, just good to see him uh, in that senior class the right way. And um, against CAA, much like the Ivy League, um, that that's one of the more competitive conferences in the entire country. I think they had four teams make the playoffs yesterday. Yeah, again, uh, you know, UNH had a good year. It wasn't as good as maybe we expected it to be. But if you look at their skin, they lost a lot of close games. You know, they lost a lot of games that really could have gone either way. So they're only this close to making it to the FCS playoffs. If they turned some of those losses into wins, they could have been uh, been in it. But, you know, it's it's a tough season. And it's a great way to go out beating your rival like that. I think St. Uh, New Hampshire will be back next year. Yeah, I mean, they got to replace a lot of key guys, most notably Lobby. But, again, Ricky Santos and his staff, good recruiters. They've recruited well. They'll recruit well. And they'll uh, they'll reinforce the roster for sure. All right, gentlemen, let's, uh, let's go to our last segment of the show. And, of course, that is high school football. This is Thanksgiving week. Uh, Thanksgiving games begin tomorrow night. Of course, you got the two at Fenway Park. Um, the highlight of tomorrow night is the KP Franklin game. Um, you've also got the Boston City League game tomorrow as well. Um, but this is the start of Thanksgiving week and Thanksgiving games. And and look, we talk about this every year, right? The importance of Thanksgiving to the landscape of football in Massachusetts and New England. Of course, this is the week where you get the yearly debates. Well, is it? Is it worth keeping it? Is it an archaic tradition? Is it time to get rid of it? Blah, blah, blah. All this other stuff. Look, we've been covering games in other states this season. No seasons are over. Maine is done. Vermont is done. Rhode Island is done. Um, New Hampshire will be done on Saturday with the D1 state title game. I mean, the bottom line is this. Thanksgiving is, and we talk about it every year, Thanksgiving is primarily a Massachusetts, Connecticut tradition. you got some Rhode Island schools at play. But to me, I, I still don't think it's a conversation because I still think it's the biggest day of the year when it comes to the high school sports calendar in, in the region. And the way I see it, there's very few regular season games that you're going to play in any sport that are going to be as big as this. So 
Uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, I'll be at the KP Franklin game tomorrow night, and I'm looking forward to these four games at Fenway the next two nights and, and what we have coming up on Thursday. I think, look, I would never get rid of Thanksgiving, ever. It is one of the things that makes high school football in Massachusetts so special. <coughs> it's, I mean, no, not a lot of people do this kind of thing, especially on the wide scale that Massachusetts does it. It's it's important and like, all right. So, do I not like it when a team has to play in a um, state title game in a week and and teams rest their starters? I don't like that. And do I not like it that Zavarian and St. John's Prep are going to play them play each other twice, once on Thanksgiving and once at Gillette? Do I like that? No, I don't like any of those things. But that said, you don't throw the whole thing out because of those things. I mean, it's 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 something that happens with this system and it's just how it's been. I mean, it's it's you can't tell me that you'd want to get rid of a Wellesley Needham game that's been going on a 130 years or whatever it's been. You know, you I just I I just think Thanksgiving is so special to this state. It makes us unique and I think it's just a great tradition. Uh, I'm with you, Al. For me, it's still the biggest day of the year. Um, I, I plan my entire thing around what game I've been covering for the last 15 years. I've been doing this. It's um, it wouldn't be Thanksgiving without going to a game, at least for me. And um, the other thing too, you know, we've talked about this. I think every year, you can't tell me it doesn't matter when you see some of the crowds that'll be out on Thursday morning. Um, John, that game tomorrow night at Fenway, they'll have, what, 3,000 people there? You know, something like that maybe, um, if not more. Nina Bosley, I'll be at on, on Thursday morning, a couple thousand there. Um, there'll be thousands of people around Massachusetts planning their day around these games. Um, you can't break that tradition. And, Adam, I'm with you. The whole playing a state title game a week after is, is outrageous, but um, one thing at a time. So, for me, it's just – you can't lose this day. It means too much to the region. Um, like when I talked to a few Patriots a few weeks ago for the story I did on their high school memories, they were shocked to hear that teams played on Thanksgiving morning and thought it was the coolest thing in the world. So for these kids to have this experience, especially the ones that are going to Gillette and are starting hockey or basketball or track in two weeks, this is the biggest day of the year now. Um, so yeah, I'm with both of you. We can't Something needs to be done to make it more important or as important as it was in, in years past. But overall, it's still the best day of the year, and it shouldn't go anywhere. And one other thing I want to mention <coughs> that I think is really cool about Thanksgiving is that it can completely change your season. If you go 4-7 and seven and don't make the playoffs, but you beat your rival on Thanksgiving, Hey, there you go. That's still cool. It gives a lot of teams a chance to go out on a high note when they otherwise wouldn't have one. Um, and the rivalries are just awesome. They're intense. I mean, it's the things I've heard on a sideline covering a football game when the opposing team is fans are right there. It's just it's kind of crazy. But I really feel like it's been um, I you know I wouldn't change it for the world. 
Yeah, and I think, look, it's it's a catch-22, right? Because here you are saying how much you love Thanksgiving, but then you have a problem with the X and St. John's Prep playing each other a week later. Oh, that's the reality of it. I mean, there's nothing you can do. No matter what the system is, that matchup, okay, so if you don't have Thanksgiving, that matchup only happens once. But don't forget that they'd probably play during the regular season. So in actuality, they'd be playing twice in a season. It's just that they're going to be playing twice in a season. They're just going to be doing it a week apart. So, I mean, again, look, I think I think it's it's woven into the fabric of Massachusetts high school sports, Massachusetts high school football. It's an important day. Got a lot of rivalry games. Let's not forget, too, there's a lot of league titles that are on the line on Thursday morning. Marshall Duxbury are playing for a league title. Foxborough Mansfield are playing for a league title. And KP tomorrow night beats Franklin. They clinch the Kelly Rex. First time since 2018, believe it or not, as good as they've been, haven't won the league in a while. So, you know, that there is a lot at stake. I mean, CM and, I, I'm sorry, Zavarian and St. John's Prep for the Catholic Conference. So, you know, there is a lot at stake. And, and, and I think to me, you know, Kevin brought this up, this balancing act of trying to keep Thanksgiving and, and make it important and align it with the season and the playoffs, it's a hard thing to do. I mean, unless we eventually go to this Connecticut plan that's being proposed, you're not going to get it. But the reality is, whether we go to that plan or not, Thanksgiving is vitally important to not only high school football, but to high school sports. We need it. We should be striving to keep it. And, and it's not an archaic tradition. And one of the things, fellas, that really bothers me, and I will say this, I think the Fenway games are cool. That's great. But I'm not a fan of playing Thanksgiving games on Tuesday and Wednesday night. I think they should all be played on Thursday morning. Now, with all due respect to some of the people that run these athletic departments, there are some people out there that would rather play it tomorrow night or play it Wednesday so that they can have Thursday off and have the weekend off. And that's great. If you're an AD, you bust your hump year-round. I get it, all that stuff. But if you don't want to work those nights and you're and you're looking to cut corners and get some weekends off, you might not want to be AD. You might want to become a VP or do something else with your life. That's all I'm saying. Uh, and, and I'll leave it at that. But I, I have a real issue. As cool as this Fenway Park thing is, I don't like the fact that we're playing so many games now on Tuesday and Wednesday night. I, I just it, – it'd be one thing if we only played those four games – at Fenway, but now you're seeing so many schools opting to play on Wednesday night. And for what? For what? Why aren't you playing on Thanksgiving morning? That's the whole premise of it, is to get up in the morning, have that one final breakfast with your team. And like you said, Adam, you could go 0-10. You win on Thanksgiving. You finish 1-10. People are good. People are not going to remember the other 10 games. They're going to remember that you won on Turkey Day. And as I always used to tell my guys, both when I was a head coach, a coordinator, and assistant, I used to say, fellas, look, the turkey tastes better when you win on Thanksgiving. You feel better about the season when you win on Thanksgiving. Plain and simple. It's an important day, and, and we all have Thanksgiving memories. I mean, I've been pretty fortunate to uh, to coach in a lot of Thanksgiving football games at a bunch of schools, and uh, it's a special day. It, it really is. Outside of the playoffs, you don't get that feeling that you do Thanksgiving morning, the butterflies, the jitters, you get up early. You're like, all right, there's going to be a couple thousand people there today. Both communities are going to come out. This is our chance to shine. So um, 
It's a really special day. And again, as I mentioned, you're going to have the four games at Fenway. Tomorrow you have Tech Boston and Brighton, King Philip and Franklin. And then on Wednesday, you have Chelmsford and Bill Ricca. And then you have Leminster and Fitchburg. Our Ryan Martin is going to be there for the two games tomorrow. And uh, the member of the Hart Foundation, Owen Hart, is going to be there on Wednesday for what I think are going to be two really good games between Chelmsford and Bill Ricca and Leminster and um, Fitchburg. And, of course, obviously we've already talked about this, guys. Super Bowl schedule was announced today. They're going to be playing the Super Bowls next week over the course of three nights, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I know the Patriots are at home on December 3rd. I get it, okay? Let me just be on record as saying I hate this. I do. I hate it. I I wish there was a way they could play on Saturday because I think asking kids to go play a state title game at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday is ridiculous, and a Friday even is ridiculous in my opinion. To that point, the Western Mass teams have a 5.30 game on Wednesday. How is that good for the parents, for the kids that want to go? Any of it. I'm with you. We've done this for years now. Um, the Saturday day, hell, even the Friday night and, and then the, the full day Saturday. I'm okay with that. But Wednesday, Thursday at 5 or 3 and 5, what are we doing? It's just, it takes away from the experience for the kids. Um, it makes it harder for families to go. Um, not to mention all the online ticketing now. Good luck getting grandparents that can figure that out on their phones when they're trying to get into Gillette. Like, it needs to be better. And I get it. Um, the schedule dictates, you know, the, the Gillette Stadium schedule dictates, you know, where and when these games can happen. But it, it's, again, 5 o'clock on a Wednesday or Thursday. It's absurd for a championship. Unless you're having kids, you know, leave school or um, or you're just not having school that day. If you're a town in the Super Bowl, Maybe you make it a day with no school, and that's a little better. But, again, it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for these kids who have busted their ass to get to Gillette all year. To have to play at those weird times, it just it doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, it's a little strange. I um, You know, I think that these will still be great games. You know, I think at the end of the day, we won't worry too much about it after. I do think, though, one thing that I wanted to see, that I want to see them go back to, but I understand if they don't, is some of these other venues. And I know I, the kids want to play at Gillette. I get that, and it's great for them that they get to do that. But I think sometimes if we could, I mean, I think Bentley's a really good venue. I think Brockton's an excellent venue. Um, but again, like if uh, it's really special for the kids to play at Gillette. And that's a good thing for them. But if that's the case, you're going to get stuff like this, which is like playing at three o'clock on a Wednesday or, wh or whatever it is, you know. So, or or you get rid of the the stupid ass eight divisions, right? <laughs> let's face it here: if you had six divisions like a normal state might, then you can play two, two, and two. Well, let's have that. And I'm okay with playing at five thirty. That's fine because I think people will get there. But the reason why this is a problem is because you have a watered-down system where you have eight divisions, which is just flat-out asinine. Yeah, well, they had, they had six like 10 years ago, I think it was. And I, it would be good to go back to that. And you're right, like eight champions is too much. I think yeah. you, can, you can say – I think six is a good one. And they had that for a little bit, but they didn't go back to it. So 
Well, and, and that's your point, Adam, about playing at these other sites. Look, when you get a chance to play for a state title, a state title is a state title. But I've coached in three Super Bowls there. I've covered numerous Super Bowls for the past 10 plus years there. It's a special feeling to play there. It's It really is for kids. You know, I was down at the Hendrick and North Kingstown game yesterday. Did that have a nice big game feel to it at Cranston Stadium for the state championship game of Rhode Island? Yeah, it did. But it's not playing at Gillette because even though it's cavernous and it's huge, I'm telling you, I have so many friends of mine that are going to coach here this year that I'm like, you have no idea how much different it is when you're coaching there. You can stand on the sideline during a game and watch it there and cover it. But when you're coaching in it, it is awesome. And I think for me, obviously, I'd love to see them stay there selfishly. I think it's good for the kids. I think it's good for the sport. But, again, you got to figure it out and and somehow make it better. Because, to me, playing at 3 o'clock on a Thursday and a Friday in a state title game, and then you're going to rush those kids off because you know those other games aren't going to get off on time. (laughs) Excuse me. You're going to rush those kids off to get the other game going. And, you know, look, it is what it is. You're getting a chance to play for a state title, but logistically it could be better. And, by the way, Adam, I think you bring up a great point. These matchups are fantastic, by the way. You know, Tyler Amaral made a good point on Twitter. that This might be the best set of matchups we've had there since they've been playing the Super Bowl since July. Yeah, I agree. It's 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 an awesome it's an awesome um, slate of games. A, a lot of even matchups. I mean, and all the way from the biggest to the smallest. I mean, like West Boylston Carver for the D eight state title is a great game. I mean, I talked to the Carver coach today, Ben Chaffane, and like it's just he's so excited, like. It's, it's going to be an awesome game. And really, all those games are going to be great. Like, and a lot of like, a lot of one and number two seeds going up against each other. So, th- a lot of these are games that people thought was going to happen. Real quick for both of you guys, to me, it feels like this might have been the highest scoring um, sort of year of postseason games that I can remember. And obviously, the CM and Marshfield game sticks out, but some of the scores that we saw. Over the last two weeks, again, you guys might remember better than I would. Uh, this has been one of the the best overall postseason years that I can remember in a long time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that I think there's some I, I think there's something to that. Um, it, it was a terrific postseason, and and you had a lot of high scoring games. And I think in general, you had a lot of high scoring games this season in Massachusetts high school football. I think a lot of that is the spread. Everybody's running it now. Uh, I think programs, coaches are doing a good job of getting athletes to come out and play. They're getting them in space. They're allowing them to make plays. Um, So I think a lot of that is that. And I think some of it too, dare I say, is that some programs put more of an emphasis on offense and defense. And when you don't practice defense as much as you practice offense, you're going to score a lot of points but you're also going to give up a lot of points. So depends on your program philosophy as well. All right, gents. Uh, of course, we're going, to, we're going to give you our picks during next Monday's show. And then, Adam, you and I and Tyler will have our Super Bowl preview next week. We'll have our Thanksgiving game preview this week. But any final thoughts before we wrap it up? We're not um, done yet. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's no, gonna be good. Want... Oh, yeah, go no, sorry. I, I was just saying, Adam, we have uh, we get Army Navy in two weeks. We'll have a ton of stuff for that, um, kind of leading into the game. Uh, we'll be at Radio Road that Friday. And obviously, you know, Thanksgiving and, and Super Bowl coverage isn't done yet. And then we'll be on Draft Talk already. And yeah. don't forget to subscribe, too. I just wanted a final thought. I didn't want you to map out the next nine months. Same thing. Um, Urchin, let's keep it to the next week. Okay, yeah. Um, just wanted to say I went to the uh, BB&N Tabor game, and uh, Bo McCormick had over – I I had about 430 yards. Some had 431. Um, just an insane, great player. Like still a junior, and he's um he's just been so much fun to watch since he was a freshman at BBNN. And um, you know BBNN had a great year. It was a great it was a great way to cap the season, uh, for BBNN. My final thought is we covered a lot of games this weekend. Stone, how many did you add, did you ended up telling me we covered? I think. Yes, it's 24. 24 games. 24 games, folks, in four days. That's a lot of football. Um, We take a great amount of pride in getting out there and covering games because we still think it's important. We know that you can be entertained in other ways. We can go out there and do videos and post them on YouTube and do all these other things. But we still feel that the most content value out there is game coverage. And we covered 24 games between high school and college football this weekend. Pat, Pats weren't a bye. We didn't even cover them. Um, so for me, I think it. I, I take great pride in knowing that we put in this kind of effort in, in terms of our content. We have a great group of, of stringers and, and freelancers that work with us that make this all happen. Without them, none of this happens. And um, we told you at the beginning of the season when we started charging a subscription – that we were, we were going to put that money back into our content and deliver more for you. And I think we've done that. And, um, you know, we, we appreciate your business. You know, we want you to stay with us throughout the offseason because we're going to have more great content. But I, I know that I speak for Kevin and Adam when I say that, you know, we take great pride in the fact that we were able to deliver that much coverage for you this weekend. I mean, we covered high school playoff games. We covered NEPSAC. Um, championship games. We covered championship games in Rhode Island. We covered uh, college football championship type games. I mean, we delivered this weekend, and we, like I said, we take great pride in that. And, um, you know, here's to us being able to do this for a long time because we appreciate your support and we know how important we are to the football landscape in this region. So um, thanks again for uh, your subscription commitment to us. And thanks again, if you follow along, whether you subscribe or not, we really appreciate you following along and, and supporting us. All right, gents, great job as always. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll obviously chat before that, but to everyone else, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the day. It is the best holiday of the year, folks. Nothing beats Thanksgiving. You know, all you All you have to worry about is family, food, and football. Can't beat that. Three best things in life. That'll do it for this week's show. For Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin, I'm John Serenitas. Till next week, peace. See you.